2: Again to Gamble On, the weekly gambling podcast presented by USBets.com. I'm Eric Raskin, USBets Managing Editor and Media Director, and I'm joined by our senior analyst, Pulitzer Prize finalist John Brennan. And John, the latest Sports Betting Hall of Fame class has been announced. It includes Vic Salerno, Michael Roxy Roxborough, Jay Rude, Sarah Slane, and Ray Lesniak. Three out of five were gamble on guests. Uh, guests, <laughs> but the Hall still hasn't inducted a single gamble on host. What gives?
1: <laughs> well, you know, Eric, uh, former State Senator Ray Lesniak, one of those uh, chosen, uh, he was miffed last year when Governor Christie got in ahead of him. And I told him that, you know, they have to space these things out a bit. You don't want to get everyone in at once. Um, right. I know this from having spent too many years covering the New Jersey Hall of Fame. It, you got to have that star power every year. Um, just as an example, this year, the Jersey Hall of Fame finally got around to picking Martha Stewart, uh, Seinfeld star, Jason Alexander, uh, Jaws, author Peter Benchley, George Martin, oh, George RR R. Martin, I guess it is of game of Thrones fame, mm-hmm. ex giant Harry Carson and so on. So they could have picked them a lot sooner, but you got to have, you got to have something in the, in the tank. So uh, I see this is, is them saving us to be centerpieces of the class of like, I don't know, twenty thirty five or so. And um, <laughs> uh, fear not, uh, they let Benchley in posthumously.
2: <laughs> I, don't, I don't know I don't know if I'm holding out for a posthumous sports betting Hall of Fame <laughs> induction but uh, uh I figure I figure whenever they open up a wing for the most prolific $2 bettors we're both in. Uh, that sounds and good. and actually if my if my Thursday night player prop streak that I had mm. going if that had made yeah. it to 10 instead of ending at 8 I think I mm. would have had a shot. That that was exactly. my chance and it slipped through my fingers.
1: Yeah, they would have inducted the streak
2: if not the uh, person <laughs> if not the person behind it. Uh, <laughs> but I'm going to steal a page from the uh, the John Brennan playbook that whenever a name comes up and it's someone that you've covered or interviewed. Mm-hmm. I'll just note that I got to to interview Jason Alexander once at the World Series of Poker. He was playing, mm-hmm. but it was this was probably I'm going to say 2013, 2014, whenever it was. It was when he had that strange uh, fake hair thing going, where he oh. was like, uh, I don't know if it was if it was growing out of his head somehow or if it was a hairpiece or what it was exactly. But he had a couple years where he was walking around uh, with it with a full head of hair, just just as George did for one episode. Uh, mm-hmm. Uh, But uh, glad to see he's abandoned that since then.
1: (laughs) Yeah, me too.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thank you to everyone out there for joining us for episode number 69 of Gamble On. 69 is, of course, the jersey number of former Eagles offensive lineman John Runyon. Mm. And that's it. That's all. That's the only connection we will draw on this podcast between the number 69 and anything. Uh, If you missed any of our previous 68 episodes, they're all available on SoundCloud and on iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. Please subscribe, rate, and review.
1: Yeah, and Eric, coming up a little later in the show, we'll be joined by Joe Papano, the Senior Vice President of U.S. Gaming at FIS, formerly known as WorldPay, making him an expert on payment processing, which of course is a key component of the online gaming sphere. Um, We have a lot of questions for Joe on that topic, but first, it's been yet another um, kind of busy news week in the world of gambling. So let's get to it. Here's your Gamble On News of the Week, an inside look at the biggest stories in the world of gambling.
2: This week's news segment is all about the middle of the country, and the biggest news comes out of Michigan, which is slightly east of the middle of the country, but close enough. Uh, Michigan, a state with a population of nearly 10 million, is poised to become the fifth state to legalize online casino and poker, and the 21st, if my count is right, to either offer legal sports betting or have passed a law allowing it. You may recall that an online gaming bill passed the House and Senate last December, but got vetoed by outgoing Governor Rick Snyder. This year, Representative Brent Iden worked hard to get similar legislation moving again, and he finally worked out something Governor Gretchen Whitmer was okay with— And on Tuesday, the gaming package moved to the Senate floor. Then on Wednesday, the Senate approved it by votes on each bill of 35 to 3. And the House concurred, and it has made its way to the governor's desk where all indications are that she will sign it by the end of the week. This is a big one, John. Some are saying Michigan is a domino that will knock down many of those other dominoes still standing. What do you think? How big is this news Uh, and any surprise that they got the tax rates where Whitmer wanted them and got this done?
1: Well, this does look like a lengthy case of political compromise, which uh, I thought had been banned in this country by now. <laughs> yet, yet, yet here we are. Uh, I appreciate the governor's concern that legalized online casino gaming might cannibalize the state's online lottery and thus impact aid to education. I mean, that's a fair uh, concern, and they kind of work through that. Um, I used to write about how Pennsylvania would be the state to open a floodgates for online poker, for example, and that gate apparently is stuck um, or has been till now. Mm-hmm. Um, I, yeah, I, I do think the real significance of Michigan is that it, it kind of forces rival Ohio's hand in 2020, and then the reality of all sorts of states next door having legal gambling will indeed spread legalization across the Midwest. Um, but, you know, as with casinos, the South and the West are going to move a lot more slowly, if at all. Right. So by bringing
2: up Ohio, you're you're supporting the domino theory that this is an important domino here with Michigan.
1: Yeah, I I do in the um, the regional sense, not not in the kind of well, if Michigan passed it, I guess I want it too. But you know, looking at the map and seeing which states are already either have legalized it or are talking about it, um, it kind of gets you from Maine to. Tennessee, practically, and and out to Michigan, and right. so Ohio's kind of uh, on an island. And then once they go, I think it gets a little further south and west, and uh, you, you get you get again the, the casino model of the 1990s. Everybody right. uh, realizes the next guy has it, so I've got to have it too.
2: Right. Um, it's interesting that the tax rate on sports betting actually came down uh, while they were compromising on this from 8.75% to 8.4%. Uh, but it was online casino that Whitmer was most interested in with regard to the tax rate. And uh, there, the rates are, are much higher than Iden initially proposed. It's a tiered structure between 20 and 28%, depending on adjusted gross receipts. Aiden uh, had initially proposed a sliding scale between 4 and 23%. So that did go up. And just uh, some other. other. quick details here Uh, each sports betting licensee gets one mobile betting skin uh, and our friends at sports handle estimated there will ultimately be 15 or so skins in the state Um, and also brick and mortar sports betting is not part of this package but it's believed that it can be easily tacked on next year uh, and uh, and you will be able to register remotely for mobile sports betting just like in new jersey pennsylvania and most but not all states yeah, that
1: was uh, that's got to be Michigan uh, specific politics. I would think Detroit and casinos and brick and mortar and like I, I don't know how they're not in this deal, but um, I think in a way they did a good job just making this happen and getting the other end in. Reminds me New Jersey, you know, they're kind of infamously started the no betting on you know college uh, teams in the state uh, issue. It's kind of silly, perhaps, but. Um, it was the one thing that was holding up the bill passing, and right. so it happened, and you know now people can't bet on Rutgers football, but it's really not a, not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. So I think probably this is smart on Michigan's part, and they'll work it out with the brick and mortar too.
2: Yep. All right. For our next story, uh, let's talk about some uh, revenue numbers. And we would love to report the New Jersey sports betting numbers for November, but they won't come out until a few hours after we record this podcast. But we do have the Indiana numbers for November. Again, middle of the country theme. Uh, and the big story is that Handel is up considerably from $91.7 million in October to million in November, but tax revenues declined because the hold percentage was only about half of what it was the previous month. Seems that might have something to do with futures bets, uh, presumably World Series futures that the sportsbooks had to pay out on. The most significant number is probably the online betting handle, which in the first full month of DraftKings, FanDuel, and BetRivers all being active in the state, that totaled $96.2 million, or 65% of the total handle. So it's not at a New Jersey or Pennsylvania 80% plus level yet, but it's presumably on its way there. DraftKings is still beating FanDuel handily in the state for now by a margin of 64 million to a little under 24 million. John, any big takeaways on those Indiana numbers? And do you want to get in a final prediction on the New Jersey handle for those who listen to this before the report comes out?
1: Uh, well, last I checked, Indiana, I think, had about three-fourths of the population of New Jersey and not quite one-third of the handle there. So they have a lot of work to do. Um, my semi-educated speculation has been that Midwest states aren't going to match the handle per capita of the Northeast. Um, just because I had a real bookie in my neighborhood growing up doesn't mean there was one in all those hoods out there. Um, as for predictions of New Jersey handle, I, I've been struggling enough lately on our shared bankroll thing. <laughs> You're taking a pass, huh? Yeah, absolutely.
2: Okay. <laughs> um, one fun little side fact uh, that that came out of the Indiana report was the popularity of different sports and types of bets in the state. Uh, football accounted for $57.7 million of the handle, followed by parlays at $38.7 million. Uh, it's crazy that the, wow. hold, the hold for the month was so low uh, with so many parlays. You know, I guess uh, they're a sucker bet, except when on occasion they aren't. But um, it was interesting just that more money was risked on parlays than on NBA and college hoops combined. Um, We, uh, yes, I'm including myself in this uh, as a parlay better, we just can't help ourselves. Parlays are fun, and you go into everyone believing you've nailed it, and uh, I might be foreshadowing some bankroll segment plans that are sure to frustrate John.
1: Yeah, that sounds like it will.
2: All right. Uh, We've been to Michigan and Indiana. For our final story this week, we go to Missouri, where two sports betting bills have been pre-filed for the session that begins in January 2020. These bills seem a little problematic, though. They include... An official league data mandate, which would make them one of only three states so far to do that. Actually, four if you count Michigan, which uh, isn't hasn't officially passed it yet. Um, More notably, the bills include a provision requiring a royalty to the leagues on every sports bet. Uh, We thought that the integrity fee and royalty talk was over but apparently not, as the show-me state is being asked to show the leagues the money. One of the bills that was filed has the royalty at 0.25% with a 9% tax rate, The other has it at 0.75% with a lower 6.25% tax rate. Uh, And this royalty would be on the handle, not the revenue. So that's not a small chunk of change. Uh, John, any sense of whether either of these bills might actually progress in this form? Or do you expect someone in Missouri to say, hey, nobody else is giving the leagues a direct taste. Why should we?
1: Uh, well, nice work on the show me turn of phrase there. Thank i got to give you that. <laughs> uh, yeah. It, it is curious in the internet age how lawmakers in any state wouldn't be up to speed completely on what's happening and not happening elsewhere in the country. Um, and I find it hard to imagine a state going in with that low of a tax rate, not high of, well, what I'd call a VIG. Right. Uh, it's possible they wind up with a bill the leagues love, the operators can live with, and the biggest loser is the taxpayer. Yeah.
2: Um, we say this every time integrity fees come up that if one state does it, it sets a bad precedent. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if some influence from other states or, or some sort of national influence from an organization like the AGA or something like that is exerted. That, you know, a little gentle nudge to say, hey, you don't have to do this. But I guess, you know, we'll see as this bill moves along and as it gets closer and closer to reality whether. People throw themselves in front of the, uh, the royalty here.
1: I'm always intrigued by people angry at the leagues for taking a shot at this when it's like it's business. I mean, uh, they have a possible chance to collect a nice uh, paycheck uh, annually uh, from a state that's willing to go along with them. And so they try for it. I mean, if it happens, I'm not blaming the leagues for right. going for it. If if it's a bad idea, then that's a legislator's problem.
2: Right, right. Yeah, no, absolutely. The leagues may as well be trying to get their slice of the pie. So, uh, I mean, they're already getting a slice in all sorts of different ways just through the the, uh, indirect extra interest generated by sports betting, but... If they can get even more, you know what's the uh the the wall Street line greed is good uh you know there's uh plenty of greed to go around out there, I suppose, and you can't really hate them for it
1: well it reminds me of uh you know stadiums and arenas and obviously in the New York New Jersey market, I covered about ten of them in the 2000s and um, it's incredible how many hundreds of millions of dollars each uh, team can get out of uh, state legislators um you know they're they're there are businessmen trying to get the best deal they can, which is right. That's that's not the problem. It's the legislators who are willing to give up tons of tax money uh, to billionaires in many cases uh, with, you know, to teams that get subsidized for an arena or stadium. And then five years later, they're, the value of their franchise has doubled and they don't give a rebate to this state taxpayers. Right. Um, so it, it's a legislative problem.
2: Yeah. Um, in any case, I'm certainly glad that Missouri is getting in on uh, sports betting. We we've talked uh, already on this show about how the, the, the legislation will spread, from state to state, you look at the states touching Missouri, uh, Illinois is getting it, Iowa has it, Tennessee is getting it. So either Missouri legalizes it or citizens all along the north and east and southeast side of the state will drive over the border and spend money there. Uh, And so, you know, once Missouri moves on it, you look around them. Kansas maybe next, uh, and so on. So we're we're getting there, John. Uh, yeah. May 2020 will be two years after PASPA fell, and I think by then, just about half the states are going to have sports betting laws.
1: Yeah, it, it's definitely. Uh, you, you just take a look at the U.S. map, and you're, you you dot the colors of who has it, who's looking at it, who isn't, and um, it it all starts to fill in. Yep. It's time to welcome a special guest from the world of gambling. Let's get to the Gamble on interview.
2: Have real money gaming without, well, real money. And from the earliest days of online poker, getting real money on and off of gambling sites has been a complication for many customers and operators. Companies like FIS strive to make it less complicated. In July, FIS acquired WorldPay, one of the leading global e-commerce and payment technology companies. And joining us now to talk about the ins and outs of payment processing is FIS Senior Vice President of US gaming, Joe Papano. Joe, welcome to Gamble On.
3: Thank you. Glad to be here.
2: So uh, PASPA fell in 2018. Quite a few new states have some form of online gambling now. How has payment processing changed or improved in this past year and a half? Has the increased need for numerous payment options led to rapid advancements in the industry?
3: Yeah, I, I will tell you that the the movement with PASPA helped accelerate um, additional payment acceptance from the issuing banks and all the key stakeholders um, in the ecosystem. I will tell you, we have come a long way since 2013 when Internet gaming was legalized in Nevada, Delaware, New Jersey. And, and a lot of that has just been through the industry work and the key stakeholders of education and awareness, working with the networks, putting in a framework for proper uh, and new MCC codes, working with the issuing banks, and really creating a framework that validated the permissibility of the activity, validating that the appropriate controls were in place, the appropriate licensing, so on and so forth. And, And I will tell you throughout the last, you know, six plus years, not only past, but when, when you take a look at what the lottery industry um, has been able to accomplish, there are a number of lotteries that have gone online mm. uh, with card acceptancy and the ability to procure a lottery ticket uh, and or a draw game. And when you take a look at how it has evolved, you take a look at Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase, historically have not approved any form of gaming or gambling activity they do so today uh with state lotteries Wells fargo now has evolved to also accept sports betting and the other two obviously there's great anticipation that both bank of america and chase uh at in let's call it q2 of next year uh will have um the appropriate controls in place and obviously uh, be able to uh, participate in the acceptance market from a debit uh, perspective. I'll tell you the evolution of the industry. Take a look at what, what's recently happened. You have two other networks that have come into the market. Discover uh, The Discover Network um, is, no pun intended, all in um, in regards to uh, card acceptance, both debit, credit, and prepaid. They make up about a 13% uh, market share in the U.S., so Obviously, bringing additional credibility into the industry. American Express, you probably no one would ever thought we would ever mention American Express with legalized or online sports betting or gaming. They have entered the market and are currently live uh, in a pilot with some key operators, just understanding the market, getting their feet under them, so on and so forth. So there is tremendous excitement. And I think, you know, the most important thing in all of it is. Making sure, as an industry, we protect the integrity of the transactions, the brands, the key stakeholders in the industry, and more importantly, the player. And when you take a look at all the velocity and controls that have put in place, it's created a nice, harmonious environment for continued movement in regards to acceptance and making sure that it's frictionless and, and it is very seamless for a player to move money in and to move money out without any additional friction within the ecosystem. So the industry has evolved dramatically since 2013 and passed by. And, you know, the lottery industry has helped uh, accelerate that.
1: Yeah, I mean, Joe, I, I appreciate that. It sounds like 2020 is going to be a, another good good year for, as a step forward on this. But I think for casual gamblers and even some of those involved in other aspects of the gaming industry, um, can you explain why this has been so complicated? You know, Did it have to be this way? Does it have to be this way? Uh, I'm thinking of you mentioned 2013. You know, only New Jersey and Delaware were offering online casino gaming, right? So I understand a lot of uh, uh, credit card companies and banks and such are, are going to be a little hesitant. They're not really clear on what's legal and what's not legal. But six years later, we have all these states with all sorts of legal gambling, and we're just barely inching forward now. Like, Why is it taking so long?
3: Well, and again, a big piece of it is obviously the, the understanding, the education, and awareness. You have two highly complex, highly regulated industries that have finally converged in gaming and payments. And candidly, there was a lack of appreciation and understanding of each uh, of the roles that each of those industry played. And when you take a look at just because sports betting one day became legal, there's a lot of work that goes into financial services companies and issuing banks and the governance and oversight that they have regarding, uh, you know, the Unlawful Internet Gaming Enforcement Act to ensure that The activity that's being conducted is legal and lawful. So it's taken a number of years and everyone in the key ecosystem and and specifically starting with Visa and MasterCard, you know, look at them as Switzerland in the market because they support the issuers and they also support the, the merchant acquirers and the merchant industry by developing a new framework and new MCC codes to allow better transparency to the issuing banks, what was imperative? We had to make sure that was um, um, enacted on to create that transparency because legacy, you know, MCC code was seven nine nine five. So mm-hmm. we accomplished that. Then the next item was making sure that you had the appropriate framework. How could we create a confidence and comfort level with the issuers um, based on that the activity was permissible? That required the framework of uh, requiring a, a legal opinion. That validated the permissibility of the activity within the jurisdiction, a third-party audit of the controls, the validation of geolocation, KYC, AML, knowledge-based authentication, things of that nature, and age, validating that framework was in place from that perspective, understanding the licensing. Then it came down to when the issuers started to understand, okay, this is good, legal, and lawful. They had to make sure they understood the market opportunity, right? If if there were associated or perceived risk, what's going to be my return uh, on investment? What's my ROI if I'm going to open up a new category? What is going to be the additional fee income that I could potentially earn? What had to happen, which is critical too, is take a look at the real-time decisioning tools. The issuing banks had to make sure that they have – The appropriate governance, the oversight, the controls in place, that the real-time decisioning tool that facilitates or authorizes uh, that financial transaction, that they had all the appropriate controls in place and that they they could support um, these new MCC codes. And then imagine cardholders, right? Your terms and conditions as a cardholder, those need to be updated and changed that says, yep, now this is a new a permissible merchant category that can be utilized uh, by leveraging a financial instrument. So, you know, it, it is a, it is a very complex ecosystem with many involved, and it's the only industry in my 28 years now in payments specifically at WorldPay FIS that I've seen the entire industry align to a common goal in regards to leaning this industry forward. And understanding the controls in place from a responsible gaming and making sure we protect the integrity of those transactions. So, you know, you know, everyone wants to read the news of oh, states are opening up. Therefore, every bank should dive in Mm -hmm. being highly regulated and making sure you have the appropriate governance and controls in place are critical to maintain and obviously optimize this new uh, market
2: opportunity. Interesting. So I'm curious, what sort of data have you acquired? about people's payment preferences. I personally tend to prefer PayPal for online gaming when it's available. Um, do you find that e-wallets are most popular or is it credit cards or do you find a lot of customers who prefer to make deposits and withdrawals in person at a casino cage? What, what sort of data are you, are you gathering? Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, great question. And I think you, you started that by saying you prefer PayPal when it's available. Mm-hmm. Here's what we've learned in the U.S. market Uh, consumers, you know, we live in a world of instant gratification. Think about how we conduct and engage in commerce today, whether it's online, mobile, uh, face-to-face, whether it's Bluetooth, right? It's frictionless. We live in a world of instant gratification. That same methodology or that same um, way a consumer or player wants to engage is no different when that uh, cascades down gaming, whether it be online gaming, mobile gaming, uh, brick and mortar type uh, gaming. So what happens is when we look at the U.S. market, we are very card centric. We have a singular payment ecosystem that's been time tested and well proven and works frictionlessly uh, throughout the U.S. market. What we're seeing is consumers want to use cards, no different than how they utilize uh, in in their other forms of commerce. So we're seeing, you know, you're Debit, credit, there's some pretty unique uh, prepaid programs out there. The industry leader, obviously, being Sightline Payments and the Play Plus uh, offering, very unique, very innovative. Uh, You're seeing some activity taking place on ACH. Uh, You're seeing activity take place on, you know, some form of of cash, whether it's uh, going to a convenience store. There are some cash-oriented cards uh, that are being utilized. Digital wallets. Um, This is one area that uh, uh, I'm excited about to see what the growth may look like. You have a number of key stakeholders in the industry, whether it's the system providers, the operators, the platform providers, uh, the cash access companies, many constituents in the market trying to provide and figure out what is going to be the best way to create this unified wallet or unified account. How can I make this frictionless? At this point in time, wallets really haven't been a, a significant driver uh, of revenues in the U.S. market. Between debit cards, credit cards, and and the prepaid programs that exist in the market today, you're looking at seventy percent of all the activity uh, that's going in is happening uh, with some form of financial instrument. So, which is un- unlike what we experience on in our international jurisdictions, where you have hundreds of different payment methods, hundreds, of, hundreds and hundreds of different currencies and what have you, different wallets where the alternative payment methods are far more robust. And maybe a part of that is because of the jurisdictional nature and, and the right surrounding uh, each of those international jurisdictions. Uh, maybe it's a, a function of just the maturity of, of the market and the uniqueness that it brings. But as we sit today and we continue to monitor the pulse and the overall movement of the U.S. market, it's correlating back to what we've always known about the U.S. consumer, and they are very card-centric because you already have the inherited consumer protections that exist when you use some form of financial instrument in addition to the velocity and controls that are also associated with it. So from a consumer
1: protection perspective,
3: You know, it seems to be the 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 preferred method,
1: Hmm. right? Yeah. Now, Joe, I want to look forward now, and as I'm thinking about looking forward, you know, 25 years ago, not that long ago for some of us, um, the average consumer didn't even have access to the internet. Um, and so, what's gone on since then has been kind of mind-blowing. Um, everything from Facebook to Twitter, and it was MySpace before that. And uh, this innovation comes at us, you know, so quickly. So I'm trying to uh, think ahead in the next five to ten years for electronic payments. And I'm sure, you know, you being in the industry, you think about that. What kind of innovative goals are being talked about? That you know, if they were imp- implemented, would kind of amaze us. I mean, it seems like it gets easier and easier to to conduct transactions. What, what's the end game in terms? Terms of you know what you'd like to see and what a consumer can do, and I hope it doesn't mean we have to implant uh, microchips in our bodies. But but if the, if you say so, yeah.
3: No, look, you know personally, I, I, I have a couple of key goals or key things that we continue to uh, aggressively or, or with great discipline continue to navigate the market to put this industry in a great position to thrive and continue to optimize new revenue streams and leverage. A lot of this fintech technology that's existing in the space, in these, in all these other markets, uh, in different, uh, you know, lines of business and things of that nature, and how those seamlessly get integrated within the U.S. gambling market. I'll tell you, number one, in the AGA, I compliment Bill Miller uh, in, in the AGA and his uh, team. In regards to a key initiative they have ongoing in the United States, which is payment modernization, how do we – why Why is it when you step on a gambling floor or casino floor uh, from a gaming perspective, as soon as you get on there, it's all, pretty much all predominantly conducted in cash. Yet when I step off the gaming floor within an integrated casino resort, I have every financial uh, – option available it's frictionless and seamless there is a there's what's happening now is this um, inflection point where you are having the non-gaming side and the gaming side are starting to converge you couple that with what's happening online in the movement of sports betting and internet gaming you are truly going to see this unified omni-channel offering In the U.S. market, which is unlike any other jurisdiction in the world, that's going to make it quite seamless for me to conduct a transaction, whether it's online, whether it's via mobile, some form of kiosk, and or uh, at the integrated casino resort or lottery or whatever the points of interaction look like. That is going to be a, a key movement in terms of optimizing and driving new revenue growth. And the nucleus to be able to do that and better understand the player, better understand their buying behaviors, their gaming preferences, how do I better incentivize the player and give them more value is when we truly understand by leveraging the payment data with the gaming data that exists in the market, that is how we're going to continue to evolve this market. So I truly believe in what I am tremendously passionate about and and what the key stakeholders are in the industry, there are some phenomenal people and company in this industry that have aligned that we are inevitably going to get to that true omni-channel offering that makes it makes it frictionless, makes it seamless. That is what the utopia is going to look like. I'm not saying we're going to remove cash off the gaming floor, but we have to start providing the consumer, the player with options on how they want to conduct a transaction today. So I'm, I'm passionate about that. I know and do believe that will happen. There's great movement in the industry to bring all those disparate points of interaction together, create that one unified experience uh, within the gaming ecosystem. The second thing uh, that I am passionate about, maybe even more passionate about um, than what I just articulated is right now today in the U.S. market, Gaming or gambling is deemed to be high risk. It's perceived high risk when, in fact, it's one of the lowest risk industries because of the way the regs uh, have been uh, orchestrated or architected by the various jurisdictions. You look at all the best and breed, the key service providers, uh, whether it's a geo-comply providing the geolocation and others in the industry, when you take a look at at the credentialing that occurs prior to even opening up an account. And then obviously the audit trail when a financial transaction is used to be able to to provide the appropriate uh, controls, the velocity to protect the consumer. There's no reason why this industry should be viewed or perceived as high risk. Chargeback disputes and or fraud is lower than your traditional e-commerce company. So as an industry, I wanna continue to align our collective efforts work with the card networks and the issuing banks to start to remove this perceived high risk nature of what the gaming or gambling industry looks like with sports betting and things of that nature and start to look at this like a traditional uh, uh, retail merchant category, which means helping drive down and minimize uh, transactional costs and start to drive new innovation that's focused around such. So, those two key themes, uh, I do believe we are going to have tremendous movement on over the next three, five, seven years to truly put the gaming gambling industry in, in this high growth and to accommodate everything going on with sports betting, how that cascades down to the retail sports book, and how inevitably that's going to cascade down to all those other points of interaction within the integrated casino resort. So we are tremendously excited about the movement. Uh, we continue to maintain great discipline as we continue to move, get movement and work with the key uh, service providers, ancillary technology providers in the space to make sure we obviously protect uh, the ecosystem. Hmm.
2: Really fascinating stuff. And uh, your, your passion for the subject matter definitely comes through. So it, it's, it's been great talking to you, Joe. Thanks so much for uh, joining us uh, this week on Gamble On. Hey, I appreciate it. And, uh, you all take care. Thanks.
1: All right, thanks. Thanks, Joe. Two men,
3: men. $10,000.
1: Will they run it up or blow it all? It's time to check in on the gamble on bankroll.
2: We'll get to the Fast Five shortly, but first, we update our betting bankroll, although I'd almost rather not because it was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad week for us. We have eight new results to report, uh, five futures bets and three new bets from last week, and only one of the eight is a winner. Uh, First, the new bets, where the good news is that they were all small, long-shot bets. Uh, Justin Thomas didn't win last week's golf event. We lost $50 there. There were no knockdowns in Joshua Ruiz 2. We lost $50 there. And the Bengals didn't beat the Browns, so we lost $60 there. Speaking of Joshua Ruiz 2, my bet made six months ago on Ruiz was a big fat loser in more ways than one. So that's a loss of $100. Uh, the Redskins are officially out of the hunt in the NFC East. So that's another loss of $100. Dak Prescott has hit the over on passing yards, so our under bet costs us $110. The Jaguars can no longer reach eight wins, so our over bet costs us $220. Wish I'd gone smaller on that. And finally, a winner. The Giants' under five and a half wins is a successful bet, so we collect $100 there. Anything worth commenting on among those results, John?
1: uh well you know the redskins had a good run no i'm just kidding (laughs) (laughs) they they won two games in a row yeah um at least i had the giants bet i like that um Mm -hmm. justin thomas had the lead with six holes to go last week before slamming into reverse so that that was a good play that didn't work out Mm -hmm. um and there's just not enough of these weeks where you do the most damage eric (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: this week this week i had no winners lots of both uh futures and uh and of the moment bets that uh did not work. So uh, all I can say now is, uh, come on,
1: Nick Chubb. We need you, buddy. Uh, yeah, I like that one. I liked it when you made it, and I still like it.
2: It's yeah, going to win, I think. Fingers crossed. We'll see. Uh, Derek Henry is coming up. In real life, I the I made two bets at the start of the season. Chubb at 20-1 to 1 and Henry at 17-1. to 1. So as long as McCaffrey doesn't pull it out, I, I'm good personally. But for our bankroll, nice. I want Chubb. So, yeah. Sure. Uh, overall, we lost a miserable $590 this week. So we went from up 410 to down 180. And we have $1,650 on hold in futures bets. So that leaves us with $8,170 available to bet this week. And I'm up first. Brace yourself, John. I have a five-team NFL teaser for you. Uh, My three-team teaser worked well a couple of weeks Uh, ago. So, you know, let's push our luck. Um, I thought about uh, moving each line six points. Uh, That would have paid plus 400 on this particular bet. But I'd rather go seven points at plus 300 on this, get an extra points uh, and uh, sacrifice a little bit of potential profit. So here's what I have. Uh, It starts tonight. I moved the Jets from plus 14 and a half to plus 21 and a half at Baltimore. Uh, I'm moving the Broncos from plus 10 to plus 17 at Kansas City. The Patriots, instead of needing to cover 10 points at the Bengals, only need to cover three. The Seahawks, favored by six in Carolina, are now plus one. And the 49ers go from needing to cover 11 to only needing to cover four at home against the Falcons. Uh, I'm risking $100 to win 300. At the very least, this should be a fun sweat as long as the Jets don't get completely decimated tonight and end the fun before it begins.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I know this bet's going to lose. I'm trying to figure out which one is going to kill you. Uh, I, I think the 49ers winning might win by three. That that could be the one. But
2: uh, yeah, that, that rate, is well, one where the the number didn't come out great. All the others, yeah. I moved the number to a fairly mm-hmm. desirable spot, and that one yes, still landed true. at four. But uh, I I sort of like that you're so confident that it'll fail because I feel like <laughs> you you did that last time and it worked out. So <laughs> that's
1: right. Yeah. Well, the funny the more teams you play, the more points you get the more exciting it is and then the more less <laughs> the no, more
2: anyway. pain yes oh well, yeah so
1: uh well you know i mentioned the offline earlier this week i love the international team the president's cup uh pga tour and foreign tour golf at plus 250 over the u.s and golf uh, they're playing in australia in melbourne um, well the u.s trails four to one after one day uh, which was uh, last night here and tomorrow there and so they're playing tomorrow tonight again and all that kind of (laughs) stuff but um so there's 25 points left so um but even so, uh, I'm going to take the internationals now at a lesser number. It's a 106 to win 100. Um, Dustin Johnson's rusty. Gary Woodland has a U.S. Open win hangover. Ricky Fowler has a honeymoon hangover. Bryson DeChambeau gained 25 pounds liberally because he's kind of an odd duck. And uh, there's no life and spirit to this team. Uh, Tiger Woods and Justin Thomas got the only point in day one. And um, I, I, just, I just don't like the vibe for this team at all.
2: Okay, Uh, so you went with what you know, golf, and I'll go with what I know, uh, boxing, for my second bet. On ESPN, in the coveted post-Heisman slot that usually draws big ratings, uh, in my opinion, the second best pound-for-pound fighter on the planet, Terrence Crawford, is in action against a totally unworthy challenger, Gijis Kavalowskis, uh, more easily referred to by his nickname Mean Machine. Uh, Crawford is minus 2,000 to win. That's not worth it. He's minus 225 to win by knockout. I like that. I bet it in real life. But the other bet I made in real life and the one I'll make here is that the fight goes under eight and a half rounds. That pays plus 105. I think this fight ends whenever Crawford decides it should end. I think that'll be about the fifth or sixth round. So let's risk 100 to win 105 that it ends before the midpoint of
1: round nine. All right. Then I'm going to go my second pick with uh, what apparently I don't know if you go by October, November results. uh, (laughs) It was college football. (laughs) I'm lifting my band for the Army-Navy game. Okay. Um, I usually roll my eyes at revenge games and that idea, but give me Navy at minus ten and a half points, uh, one ten to one hundred. Army's won the last three games after losing like fourteen in a row or something. Uh, so Navy seniors must have this game to exit with a rivalry W. Uh, Army's quarterback is banged up, which is not a big deal for passing because these teams don't pass really, but he's a key rusher for them. Um, Navy beat number twenty-five SMU a couple weeks ago. Army's had you know, fewer opponents of note lately, so uh, go midshipmen.
2: All right, and took the took the wrong side of the hook, huh? You're you're that confident to go the yeah, minus 10 absolutely. and a half okay i'll take your word for it because i have no idea uh whether either of these teams are any good at football at all
1: um, yeah my dad was in the army air force before it was uh separate from uh air force was separate from the army so i'm going against uh, him and. In- a couple of ways, I suppose.
2: All right. Well, you're siding with my grandfather who was in the Navy. So uh, there we there go. go. All, <laughs> right. All right. We finished with the fast five. Uh, and I said last week that I need to make up one game a week. And it wasn't easy since we had three picks in common and you went a very solid 3-1-1. One, and one, But I got myself a 4-0-1 oh, week to remain in the hunt with three weeks to go. Mm-hmm. Your record now stands at a pretty darn impressive 39-28-3. And, and I'm two and a half games back at 36-30-4. And you're up first this week.
1: Well, I'm going to admit that I, I saw a backdoor half cover with the Lions plus 13 last week and, right. and stuck in the backdoor with the Bengals plus eight and a half off their last minute field goal to get within eight. And yeah, um, <laughs> I, I have to mention it because I got to make up for some of my muling in earlier weeks <laughs> when I lose, just to be on the fair side of things. Um, so now let's go. Uh, Lions plus three versus Buccaneers, um, who have no more Mike Evans. Banged up Jameis Winston, a uh, host of injuries. Um, Lions are way healthier and always competitive. I can see a one-point Lions loss because Lions gonna Lion, So that would cover me. Um, Packers minus four versus the Bears. Kind of a weird line for sure. Uh, the Bears staggered past the hapless Lions and then beat up the self-arming Cowboys. Um, the Bears with the worst injury list too and the worst team. Pretty confident in that one. Um, Dolphins plus three and a half versus the Giants. So Vegas thinks the Giants are a half-point better team than the Dolphins on a neutral field. It's like the last nine weeks didn't happen. Uh, Then give me the Bills plus two and a half over the Steelers. Um, Sure, if the Steelers get another uh, 85-yard punt return for a touchdown like they did last week, uh, might be in trouble. But um, they won't, and so I'm not. And then finally, the Rams. Uh, giving one point to the hapless Cowboys. Um, Rams uh, finally have their act back in gear. Uh, Cowboys, this is kind of a, you know, save-carriage job, and I don't see anybody on a Dallas sideline that's really trying to do that.
2: All right, so those are your picks. I'm taking a different approach this week. Uh, Normally, I have my five picks all written out with notes. Instead, this week I jotted down ten sides that I like, Uh. and I was waiting for you to make your picks because I was hoping to go head-to-head with you uh, once or twice, if that makes sense for me, and I Uh. wanted to definitely avoid having any of the same picks since this is only my second-to-last chance to pick after you. Uh, So I sort of ranked a bunch by my order of preference. I'm going to improv this a bit and pick five of my ten options Options now, And I'll just note that I had three jotted down that you picked. So I will not be using, although I would have liked to possibly, I will not be using Miami. I knew you were going to pick that one. That was, that was pretty <laughs> obvious. I will not be using Buffalo. I like that side also. And I will not be using the Rams. I like that one too. Um, I will be going with, uh, why don't I do my head-to-head first. I'm going to go up against you on Detroit and Tampa Bay. Uh, I like uh, the Buck side of that at minus three. I just don't see how the Lions are going to keep up with the Tampa Bay offense. Even with Mike Evans out, that Tampa Bay offense uh, scores points. They also turn the ball over and, and help the other team out at least once or twice a game. But uh, I, I just think they're going to put up a lot of points, and it's going to be hard for Detroit to keep up. So I'll go head-to-head with you on that one. I'll take the Vikings minus two and a half at the chargers uh i just think that you know the vikings are clearly the better team they're playing for significant playoff positioning the chargers are playing for nothing at this point they have no home field advantage uh so uh, and i'm getting i'm on the right side of the hook there too at minus two and a half so i'll take the vikings um i'm gonna take the saints even though this number is a little bit awkward a minus eight against the colts uh it's up to as high as nine and a half elsewhere so i still feel like i'm getting a good number there i think the saints are definitely going to be motivated uh, after that uh, disappointing loss to the 49ers last week. They really want to uh, help their playoff seeding here and the Colts are kind of falling apart gradually as the season goes along. So give me New Orleans. Uh, So what's that? I've made three picks now. Mm -hmm. Uh, My fourth one, Uh, I'm going to take the Titans minus three against the Texans, basically uh, a key game in terms of determining who wins that division. But I just love the way the Titans are playing right now. They look like a whole different team since Ryan Tannehill took over than they were before. And I Mm -hmm. think they can cover that field goal. And last one. Let's see. Which of these do I like? I'll go with the Raiders minus six and a half uh, at home against Jacksonville. Not that I have any confidence in the Raiders, but man, do the Jaguars stink. They've been getting blown out left and right as this season has gone along. So I think Oakland can cover the six and a half points at home uh five five favorites i noticed uh oh yeah i guess it did end up that way all right i have no underdogs may, mm. <laughs> may it be a terrible week for the underdogs please it's uh, been a
1: dog day afternoon quite a few of the uh sundays this year. it it,
2: hit, it has so uh i will be rooting for uh for favorites to prevail including my eagles who neither of us picked that game but uh uh, if I had to pick it,
1: I kind of like the Washington side of that line. Uh, I, kinda, having... I was I was leaning Eagles. Darius oh. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Geis is out for the year now. And, uh... True,
2: but so is, so is every Eagles pass catcher. Yeah, uh, so. that's why
1: I didn't pick it. Yep, exactly.
2: All right, well, that'll do it for this episode of Gamble On. Thanks to everybody out there for listening, and thanks again to our guest, Joe Papano. You can find me on Twitter at Eric Raskin and John at Bergen Brennan, and follow U.S. Bets at U.S. underscore Bets. Go to usbets.com for all the latest news and analysis from the world of gambling and subscribe to this podcast on SoundCloud or on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app. And with that, John, please do your thing and take us out.
1: Well, you know, Eric, you might think of spending some time this Friday uh, playing some online poker or looking at that Army-Navy point spread on the hook. And, you know, (laughs) unless that is you have Frigga, Triska, Ideca-phobia. That's a real thing. That's the (laughs) fear of Friday the 13th. Apparently about 20 million people suffer from this malady, according to, and I'm not making this up, the Stress Management Center and Phobia Institute in Asheville, North Carolina. So uh, if you're not one of those 20 million people, uh, dear listener, uh, then on Friday and on any day, within reason, I say gamble on